You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. that there are folks who are working behind the scenes to do everything they can to make sure that this doesn't just feel like we're randomly tuning into the internet periodically, but that we're actually doing what we can to worship together as the body of Christ in a really strange time in our history. Today we start a new series. It's called Stronger Together, The Art of one Anothering. We're going to be spending a lot of time looking at the word one another in the Bible, and it comes up a lot. And that seems like a really timely series, but we actually planned it out a year ago. And I think that's a sign that God is up to something. I don't know what, but I do think he's up to something. It's nice to know in this chaotic and crazy time that the sovereign hand of God has not been defeated in all this. And if you're anxious and upset, well... You can place your faith and hope in God's future. And today we're going to be reading some words that I think God wants us to hear. From Romans chapter 12, start at verse 9. Open a Bible with me. It's good to be in the habit of using Bibles. Romans 12, start at verse 9. We're going to read a few verses, but we're really going to focus on verses 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Outdo one another in love and honor. Paul conceives of the Christian life as a race of sorts, with a championship to be claimed, with prize money to be won, with rewards for the victors, with a finish line to be crossed. And you and I are called to leave each other in the dust when it comes to love, to be so much better, so much more excellent at loving one another, that we are outdoing each other. And it reminds me of races I've been in over the years, but in particular one in seventh grade. I don't know if you all took presidential physical fitness kind of metrics back in the day, but we did. And in the seventh grade, all we really knew was there was a race going on. We didn't really think of it as some kind of test. And the PE teacher wasn't really a PE teacher at my school. It was a pregnant woman who was an art history teacher who wanted $50. And so they gave her a toy cap gun and a stopwatch. And that's really all the qualifications she had. We just knew there was a race that day. We didn't really know what it was about, but we were excited. And I went to a, a low-income uh, inner-city school, and so we had free lunches and uniforms. It was lunchtime, and we were all excited and talking about this with our white-collared shirts and our blue, maybe blue, really, shorts, talking about the race and who was going to be faster and what it was going to look like. And the free lunch that day was macaroni and cheese. 
So our bellies were filled with mac and cheese, but they were also filled with a thirst for victory. And we went outside and we were excited, and there was this kind of buzz and clamor, and we didn't have a track at our school. We had, well, just the edges of the field where the grass wasn't really growing very well. And it wasn't a quarter mile, which is what it was supposed to be. It was more like half a mile to three quarters of a mile. And with bellies full of mac and cheese that day at around one o'clock in the afternoon in May, when the temperature was well over 100 degrees, seventh graders began to run, to run at high speed, as fast as we could possibly run. And it wasn't long. It wasn't long before it was clear who was leaving it all out on the field, so to speak. It wasn't long before the macaroni and cheese began to reappear. It wasn't long before we were marked by the fact that we were giving it our all. And that mark would stay with us for the rest of the day, and a certain odor of victory came along with it. It was clear that we were outdoing one another, and that we were doing it whatever the cost. And that really is what Paul is talking about. There's a, a certain stench to love, a certain mark that comes along with it. It's unavoidable. It's something you can't really ignore. People who are doing everything they can to outdo one another in love, well, that's obvious. And you really can get better at following Jesus. And you really can get better at loving the way that Jesus calls us to love. We can do this with excellence. So much so, actually, that if you keep going and I slow down, you might leave me in the dust and look back over your shoulder only to say, man, if only Luke had kept up. But I'm loving better and better each and every day. And we live in a world where that kind of competition makes sense to us. Uh, it's just that people are racing for different things. The people we know, their, their goals are really to have the most Instagram followers, or the most likes, to be on the most interesting vacations, or have the most influence, the best toys, to be the most political, to be the most progressive, or the most conservative, to be the most patriotic, to be the most woke, to be the most something. We want to be the most outraged most of the time. We are outdoing one another in an awful lot of things. The world manages to top itself all the time. But you and I are called to live a very different way. To be crazy people who are playing by different rules and trying to outdo one another in love. To lead the way in love, to be the first to show it. Uh, the word at the very end of verse 10 in Greek uh, really refers to being first or leading the way or well, being someone who's winning in a particular kind of race. That's what Paul is advocating for. So your Bible might say, uh, prefer one another, or be the first to show honor, or outdo one another in that way. And that's really what he's calling us to do. And, and we live in a time where that sounds really difficult, and where it's really clear where people are at. And the sides couldn't be more clearly defined. In a tribalistic world, people define themselves mostly by who they dislike, by who I'm not. Not so much by who I am, but by, by what I don't agree with and by whom I'm not. And we know that we live in this weird world where there's a lot of conflict going on right now. And you and I are called to be Christians in the midst of that really troubled time and to be people who care deeply about the poor and the widow and the orphan and the oppressed and also people who love all of our neighbors, whether they wear uniforms or not. And that's a really challenging thing to do. And Paul gives us lots of really tangible ways that we might love one another and that we might do this sincerely and, well, passionately. Really, the rest of the verses after 9 and 10 are kind of an explanation or tangible examples of things we might do. Showing hospitality to strangers, taking care of the needs of the saints financially. Or, well, there are lots of different examples, and it might be worth coming back to these because we don't have time to dwell on each of them. But 
So what does it really look like for me to outdo other people in love, to be the best at love? How do I bring these things into my life? Well, lately I've been praying, because he talks about persevering in prayer. It occurred to me that my prayers are so focused on the headlines, so focused on this moment right now, that that might not be a good thing. So I've been reading old prayer books, because in the history of the church, people have written down prayers. Which sounds strange, because prayer is just talking to God the way I would talk to you. But sometimes it's nice to hear somebody else's prayers, to kind of get you outside of yourself, to hold up a mirror to your own time and help you to see where you're anxious and maybe that you're overly concerned with things that others might not be. And so I was praying through a particular prayer book written in the 70s called The Book of Common Prayer, and there was one for social justice, which sounds like it could have been written for our time. Pray this with me. Almighty God, who hast created us in thine own image, grant us grace fearlessly to contend against evil and to make no peace with oppression and that we might reverently use our freedom help us to employ it in the maintenance of justice in our communities and among the nations to the glory of thy holy name amen amen but the prayer that comes right after it is called a prayer for times of conflict and i don't think it's accidental those were put together goes, O oh God, you have bound us together in a common life. Help us in the midst of our struggles for justice and truth to confront one another without hatred or bitterness and to work together with mutual forbearance and respect through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Those two prayers fit particular sides of the conflict we find ourselves in unavoidably watching on the news, marching through the city streets. We see it everywhere. And only a Christian would be crazy enough to believe that you could pray both of those prayers. That we could pray passionately, God, we don't want to make any peace with oppression. God, we want to fight fearlessly against evil. God, we refuse to compromise with any sense of injustice. Help us to use our freedom in that way. And at the same time say, God, we know that we have to work together with other people. We know we can't just demonize folks. We, we really don't want hatred and bitterness in our lives. We know that we need to love one another and work for unity. These seem to be mutually opposing ideas, and only Christians could believe something so crazy that we could love our enemies, that we could pray for those who persecute us. Paul says twice in the passage that continues, bless those and don't curse them. Those who don't like us, we bless them and we don't curse them. That's a really challenging thing to do. Because it looks sort of like you're well, making peace with the enemy. In our time as Christians, to be people who outdo one another in love, we have to be people who see what's going on with folks who would cry out about injustice, who would talk about people who've been murdered by the police, who would say, look, it's happened too often, to the point that we have trouble remembering the names. That's how often it's happening. And these are the only the most egregious forms of violence. The truth is, Little injustices are happening all of the time, and we're sick of it, and we're not going to take it anymore. And at the same time, there are those who say, look, we need the police. The police, by and large, are extremely helpful, and most of the time when they're doing their jobs well, you don't see them. You only really see them when they fail. And so we have these two mutually opposed sides that really have a lot to say against one another. And so as Christians, we have to be people who love and who really are doing the best we can to be better at love than everybody else. 
And so we can look at these folks over here and say, look, we love the police. We know that you're our neighbors. We see the value that you bring. We love that you serve us all the time. We know that you do things that we desperately need in our time and our society. But we also think that we can criticize you and offer oversight, that that's actually part of what it means to love you. Because we think actually that it's time for change and for reform. But those words might be heard better by people who care deeply about the police and see the value that they bring. Likewise, we can speak over here and say, we see injustice and we care deeply. And we understand to the degree that people can understand what exactly is going on and we want to see change. But we want to be careful about how we talk about one another. And we know that we actually need the police if we're going to see any kind of change. And we know ultimately that there is a difference between protesting and rioting. So we find ourselves in this really impossible position, this really crazy position of being nuanced people in a world that wants bumper stickers. We want to become wise, gracious people in a world that doesn't want wise and gracious people. They want us versus them. Which side are you on? And the dangerous thing that I'm doing even in this moment is talking about this because I know that some of us have already chosen a side and that some of us listen now with that lens. And it's a dangerous lens to listen through for the Christian because the Christian has to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us because we have been commanded to do that by Jesus Christ. And so we bless and we don't curse. Paul has to say it twice, and I think he needs to say it twice. And so you and I are these people. We have to outdo one another in love, and it's clearly time to get to work. The world clearly needs the gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, now more than ever. How do we do it? Well, Paul says that love needs to be sincere. That's the beginning of verse 9. Let love be sincere. And the word there in Greek for sincere is anhupokrites, which is connected to the word we get hypocrite from. You may not know this, Jesus invented the word hypocrite. Before Jesus, it just meant actor. But Jesus was looking to name something that he sees in humanity on a pretty regular basis. And he called it hypocrisy. And he chose the word because in the theater at the time of Jesus, people would be in plays and characters would play, well, actors would play different characters. And they would have different masks. That was how you became a different character. And they would often have different masks on them at one time and would change mid-scene. So you'd see someone go from being a good guy to a bad guy immediately, as though this was somehow fooling us. And there'd been some dramatic change in the situation. Jesus says, love can't look like that. People deal with love like that. People deal with God like that. People deal with one another like that. And those who follow me cannot be hypocrites, actors. It can't just be a mask. It can't just be for show. It can't just be posturing. It can't just be for likes and hashtags and as much recognition as you can gain. It needs to be sincere, Paul says. Love should be sincere, not an act. And we live in a world of social media where the temptation is constant. We see people around us all the time trying to climb ladders, trying to name drop, able to work and willing to work as hard as possible, so long as someone will recognize the work that we're doing, so long as someone will see us as somebody, so long as someone will realize that it was me who did that, that I was the one who rallied those people, that I was the one who created that thing. And that's not love. Love isn't about what people see. Love often happens in simple and small and very unsexy ways. Those of us who are married know exactly what I mean. Love is something that happens when you take care of your neighbor, when you buy groceries for somebody, 
when you are willing to walk in a protest in heavy heat, when you are willing to talk to police officers who are clearly on edge, you just try to be friends with them. Love is something that happens when you wear a mask and you don't think you need to. Love is something that happens when you're willing to sit closer to someone than you feel comfortable with because you're afraid of a disease. Love is something that happens in simple and small ways and also in big ways. But love needs to be sincere. I've been a student of commercials for a while. We've talked about this a few times. I think commercials are some of the most fascinating speech that happen on a regular basis in the United States of America. Corporations who spend crazy amounts of money for 10, 30, 50 seconds to try and manipulate us as much as possible to do one thing or not do another thing, and we all accept that as normal practice. And I'm fascinated to listen to the kind of messaging that comes across. But it's been really fun to watch what happened during the coronavirus to commercials on Hulu and various other places. Because for the first few weeks, ad agencies were clearly still trying to advertise, but just didn't know what to say or how to say. And so car companies would come on and say, please buy things. We won't charge you interest forever. And also free GPS, please buy things. That, that seemed to be the commercials for the few, first few weeks. And as time went on, it started to sound a little bit more like, you're a hero and you're a hero. And these people who are not working are heroes. And these people who wear masks are heroes. And these people at the grocery store are heroes. And these people in the healthcare system are heroes. And we are Kroger. Please think that we are heroes. Please associate that word with us as well. Pure branding. We're not even selling anything anymore. We're just selling ourselves as the best human beings on the face of the earth. And lately, the message has been a little bit more, we love you as a company and we love America and we're bringing people together. And I thought I would read to you the text of one of the more interesting ads I've heard lately. This moment right now, this is our commencement. No, we'll not get a diploma or a degree of any kind, but we are entering a new chapter of our lives. Our confidence is shaken, our hearts cracked, the kind of crack that comes from losing a job or life plans falling apart. We didn't ask for it, but we are rising to meet it, and how far we've come isn't even close to how far we can go. We just have to remember how patient we were, how strong we can be, how strong you can be, and remember this. There's a crack in everything for a reason. How else can the light get in? Tomorrow starts today. It is clear to me that that ad was written before the BLM protest kicked off and George Floyd died. And if you listen to the words a little bit longer, they sound really inspiring, but they have almost no content. You wonder, what do you mean commencement? What are, what exact, how are we beginning something? What do you mean crack? Doesn't the world seem more shattered? And what light exactly is breaking in? I wish we were in person right now so that I could ask you, what company do you think wrote that ad? Who was it? You're wrong. It was Bank of America. Bank of America wrote that ad. You remember those guys in 2008 who got a $20 billion bailout because they were selling toxic assets to the American public and helped contribute to a global financial crisis? Yeah, you know, the good guys. Bank of America. These people, right? Let love be sincere. That's what Paul is talking about. 
that we would actually care about one another, not that we would find a way to position ourselves and posture ourselves and do everything we can to sell ourselves to the right people. Let love be sincere. Hate what is evil, love what is good. It's the end of verse 9. Hate what is evil, love what is good. In Greek, the word hate and the word love do not appear in that sentence. Uh, it's, it's good translating, it's just it's hard to really do. It's more like be repelled by evil, or recoil from evil, cling to what is good. I think about magnets and the, the difficulty you have putting the wrong ends of magnets together. That's what Christians are supposed to be like when it comes to evil, just diametrically opposed. No matter how hard you push, they just won't connect with evil. And when it comes to good, that we would have the exact opposite reaction, that we would cling to it the way magnets do when the right ends are connected with each other, that we would just be drawn to good. Now, the word in Greek, actually, for the, what we do with good is used of weddings, of people who have an intimate relationship with goodness. We hate what is evil, we love what is good, we recoil from evil, we cling to the good. And I know that that does not sound at all nuanced. And I was just talking about nuance a second ago. I think it's fair to say that Paul is nuanced in the way he talks about how we operate as Christians. That Jesus is nuanced in the way he talks about how exactly do we follow him? What does it look like to be wise in this given moment, to use my brain? And to say, well, I care about the poor, the widow, the orphan, the oppressed. I care about the marginalized. I care, actually, that minorities are being pretty consistently discriminated against by the police. And yet, at the same time, I also care about the police. So I have to love my neighbors, no matter whether they wear uniforms or not. I have to be against bad guys, whether they wear uniforms or not. I have to be this nuanced kind of person. And yet what Paul is also saying is, and we hate evil and we love good. It's not that we live in a world of gray areas. It's that we do what we can to identify what is bad and say we are not with that. And we do what we can to identify what is good and say we are with that. Love is not blind. You have heard people say love is blind. It's something people say all the time. It's on greeting cards. It's in movies. Love is not blind. Love is open-eyed. If you are in a dating relationship and you can't see anything wrong with the other person, believe me when I tell you that's not love. My wife loves me. My wife sees me for who I am, and that's how I know my wife loves me. My wife knows what it's like when I eat too much food and knew that I shouldn't and have heartburn all night long. She knows what it's like to sleep next to that. It's no good. My wife knows what it looks like when I pick up my kids at the end of a long, hard day. My wife knows what it looks like when I'm being a grouch. And my wife knows what it looks like when I feel generous. My wife loves what is good in me. And she hates what is evil in me. And that doesn't stop her from loving me. That actually means that she loves me all the more because she wants me to be the person I have been created to be. That's what love looks like. Love is open-eyed. Love is discerning. Love is passionate, both about evil and about good. And as Christians in the world, we have to hate what is evil. And that's really challenging, because again, if you've chosen a side already, you cannot be open-eyed. That's clear. In a tribalistic world, you just choose an ideology and you stick with it. You can never be self-critical. You can never get better. You just go, they're all wrong, those are the enemy. But Paul is talking about a very different way of operating in the world that we would say, look, we hate what is evil, we love what is good, we want to move forward together. Because we want to outdo one another in love. And so Christians find ourselves in this very uncomfortable space, again, somewhere near the middle, between maybe riot gear and rioters. It's a really uncomfortable space to be. This last week, actually, some of us, at both of this church and then in other churches, found ourselves at this sort of semi-protest. 
a prayer gathering downtown. And you may have seen some of the people from our church on TV, which was fun, or in news publications. We have folks from the African American Clergy Coalition. We have folks from all sorts of different churches just gathering together and saying, we, we know that we need change. And we're sad about what happened. We're together in this. We care about this city. And it was a powerful gathering. And it was a strange thing, actually, to know that it wasn't quite a protest and both what was a little bit of a protest. This oddly uncomfortable space that Christians will consistently find ourselves in. And there have been more of those gatherings. And there will be more of those gatherings, I expect. And it's our hope that we see both peace and reform in our time. We're people who find ourselves constantly advocating for this strange, difficult thing that we would love people well because we genuinely believe that love changes the world, not in a naive, idealistic way. We are open-eyed in our love. Yet we know who we follow. We follow someone who is great at love and we want to be better. We want to be more like him. But what it says in verse 10 that we outdo one another in love, there are lots of different words for love in really two verses. Uh, different Greek words for love. Philadelphia, which you know about, right? The, the brotherly kind of love. The love of family members is a different one. Philostorge, agape. All of these words are kind of slammed together here. And Paul is talking about loving one another like we love family. Loving one another like a parent loves a child. Loving one another, well, as though we belong together. There's this crazy thing that Jesus did. He said that those of us who follow him become family. There's this crazy thing that the Spirit of God does. It unites people who have no other reason to get together. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is in my veins, and the blood of Jesus Christ is in your veins. You are my brother in Christ. You are my sister in Christ. That's not a metaphor. That's real. We're family. We care about each other as though we were family. We take care of each other as though we were family. We recognize that there is more that unites us than tears us apart, not because we're Americans, but because the Spirit of God is in us. Because Jesus died for us, and that gets rid of any and all superficial things, no matter how deep they seem. In Christ, we hear that there's neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, and the list would probably go on. Black or white? Cop or protester? Masked or unmasked? Science versus religion? Left and right? All those divisions that seem so natural to humanity, because humanity does find it natural to divide itself, are very unnatural for those of us who follow Jesus Christ. And when we were downtown with thousands of people, those people were our brothers and sisters, some of whom are really crying out, weeping, because of the injustice they faced personally, not just for the injustice that we're seeing on the news, because for them this isn't just another hashtag, this is a lived reality. Those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Likewise, I knew off-duty police officers who were in the crowd. In the crowd. And who definitely haven't told their unions. They were in the crowd because they are Christians first and foremost. And they recognized that they wanted to be with their brothers and sisters and they wanted to pray. And so we are people who have this strange view on the world. We're loving one another as best as we can. Even though that means that we have to be this strange kind of vulnerable. We have to operate like balloons in a land of cactus. It's a dangerous place to be as a balloon in a land of cactus. To get closer and closer and closer when you see defenses on people all of the time. To operate with that kind of vulnerability is a strange thing to do, but we genuinely believe that sometimes it lowers defenses, sometimes it changes lives. That in fact, that's what happened with me when Jesus died on the cross for me. And that's what happened with you when Jesus died on the cross for you. Someone who was willing to love, even though we had no interest in being loved. Even though we were his enemies, while we were yet sinners, it says. Christ died for us. 
And so we become people who die for others while they are still sinners, who live our lives as though they matter more than we do. And that's hard, but it changes lives. It's time to get to work changing lives. There was a guy named Bill Bright many years ago who's one of the more influential Christians in the last hundred years. He founded Camps Crusade and did, well, a number of remarkable things. Bill Bright loved to tell stories of people he led to Jesus. And At one point, one of the stories he told was of a, a lawyer who he led to the Lord. This guy became a Christian, and he had another lawyer that he hated. Hated. They were absolutely enemies. They hated each other. They were nemeses. And yet this guy had become a Christian, so he comes to Bill and he goes, okay, so I'm a Christian, and I hate this guy, and he hates me, but I don't think I'm allowed to do that anymore. And Bill says, yeah. And so they prayed. And the lawyer, a couple of days later, walked up to the other guy, out of the blue, his mortal enemy, and said, I've become a Christian, I love you. I'm sorry. And I forgive you. And the other lawyer was so surprised. He said, I'm really interested in becoming a Christian. How do I do that? You see what love can do? Because the truth is, that's actually not that far off from my story when it comes to following Jesus. And I suspect it's not that far off from your story when it comes to following Jesus. Paul says we want to be the best of love because we follow someone who is the best at love. We want to get better and better and better. We want to be the first to show honor, the first to love, the quickest to forgive. You've heard of winning at life? This is winning at love. That's how you win at life. And by the way, it works really well in marriages and relationships with people at work. Be the first to take out the trash. Be the first to say, I'm sorry. Be the first to say, I forgive you. Be the first to say, I was wrong. Be the first to say, I messed up. Be the first to get up to take care of the kid. Be the first. Lead the way. Win at love. It's time to get to work. That is what Paul is calling us to. That's a remarkable thing and a dangerous thing in the world we live in. But the world is in desperate need of Christians who are doing the work we are called to do. Being excellent at loving there's a, a quote by an African-American artist named Toni Morrison. I came across it many years ago, and I like it a lot. And so I'm just going to steal it. And uh, I'm going to change the word artist to the word Christian in the quote. This is precisely the time when Christians go to work. There is no time for despair, no place for self-pity, no need for silence, no room for fear. We speak. We write. We do language. That is how civilizations heal. I know the world is bruised and bleeding, and although it is important not to ignore its pain, it is also critical not to succumb to its malevolence. Like failure, chaos contains information that leads to knowledge, even wisdom. As Christians, we are committed to becoming wise, committed to loving, we recognize the world is in serious need, serious need of the grace and mercy of God. It is bruised and broken, and yet it is also a force for its own destruction on a regular basis. So we as Christians come into this world as people who want to love well, and who recognize that the only thing we really have to offer the world is Jesus Christ. 
and we want to get better and better and better at following Jesus, at outdoing one another in love. Would you pray with me?